1: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to this week's episode, featuring a former Marine who uh, had multiple deployments to Iraq, including one where he almost died, or at least he says he did. We brought him back to life, but he has since started his own private security firm, as well, written a book about his tales. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, please continue to go to our website, HazardGround.com, for all your Amazon shopping needs. Very simple. Go to HazardGround.com, click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage, It'll redirect you right to Amazon. You do all your normal Amazon shopping. We will get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then I'll donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations heard on the show here, featured here on the show. It's an easy way for you to... to you help out veterans charities just by doing amazon shopping but you got to go to hazardground.com first i see every day i check out how many guys how many times you guys are doing it and you're clicking so keep up the great work uh make sure you guys do that for all your amazon shopping follow on all the social media sites facebook twitter and instagram at hazard At and hazard podcast you'll catch us there get more information about the show it's also a great way to reach out to us if you need anything uh i try to go through those dms as much as i can um it's easier just to go to the website hazardground.com and and click on the contact us button if you really want to get in touch with me because it goes right to the email now that you guys know all the back channel stuff but nonetheless uh as well leave us apple reviews continue to uh give us five star ratings wherever you see this podcast tell us why you love the show certainly appreciate all the love and support that you guys have given us all right uh this week's guest as I mentioned, former Marine, spent four years in the Marine Corps, short stint, multiple deployments to Iraq, and immediately after leaving the Marine Corps, went into private security. He also wrote a book for, called Finding Meaning After the Military to detail his, his uh, you know skills and, and life through the military as well. He's got a double psychology major and a master's degree and is now the CEO of Bravo Research Group, which is a private security company. He also has multiple training companies in the world of protection and private security and guys, I just got to say this pretty plainly. He's a badass. Byron Rogers is here on the Hazard Ground. Byron, welcome, man. Thank you for joining me.
0: Hey, boom. Thank you, brother. It's an honor to be here, Mark. Thanks, my man.
1: Thank no, you. absolutely. Listen, I mean, you know, when, when you start doing research on guests uh, and you start realizing everything that they've done and where they've gone, and, and some of this really is more about what they're doing in their post-military career, um, yeah. it's just, it's impressive to see everything that you've done. Uh, and, and really... You know, it, it's it, it's so funny because we interview so many people for this show who have like lengthy military careers and everything else. Yours, yeah. by all comparisons, is fairly short, given though you went through a lot. But, you know, you now have this whole thing on the outside where you're, you're impacting lives and, and helping veterans still. And that, that's always amazing to me. It's sometimes it's as much about what you do in your post-military career as what you do in the military career. So uh, continued success. But we'll get to all that coming up here. Uh, but how and why Thank you me. went in the Marine Corps? Um, you know, my, my dad is a
0: really masculine, hardcore, like dude, right? So you think like Donald Trump and Tony Montana mixed in one person, like he's just that guy, you know, like I find the cure for cancer. He's like, you should have found the cure for AIDS, son. Go back in the room and figure <laughs> it out. <You> know? <laughs> he's that guy, you know, he got shot. At point so point range with... Yeah, man. Yeah. He got shot at point blank range with a shotgun. He survived it. Wow. um just yeah, I still might could not might not be able to beat him up like I still might have to shoot him you know what I mean if it came down to it like he's just one of those guys and so growing up that was my archetype you know and I I was always like watching him and I was like, how can I do something that can gain his respect and then I was thinking to myself like how can I gain my respect for myself and my masculinity in a way that no one can take it away from me you know that uh, how can I know that I have what it takes? And then I was kind of, I also kind of was thinking to myself, like, there's a war going on because I joined in 04 and like, I'm an able-bodied male. Like I should kind of be going and getting down. Um, And then ultimately, man, you know, I I grew up, uh, you know, in a Christian family, uh, but I always knew I was a warrior. So I always was like asking God, like, how can I be a positive force? I know I have this in me, you know, I have this engine. I'm like how does this work like how can you be a positive force for that and he's always been faithful to show me the mission and how we can serve people at the highest levels as, as being that and so um yeah man I was like you know what I'm gonna join the Marine Corps I'm gonna go to war and uh that's how we ended up in there man and it was everything
1: that I hoped it would be and more you know so you had your father no military experience no military experience in your family anywhere
0: no, he was. Um, he had the largest security company in the Bahamas, and he started the first task force in the Bahamas. So there's some tactical stuff in my, you know, kind of world. Um, but uh, that was. I knew that would kind of be the trump card, which would be like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go to actual war. And were you uh, born
1: in the Bahamas? Is that
0: where you? Is that where you're from originally? Yeah, that's where I was originally born. Uh, and then my parents split up, and I got custody. Uh, they started to share custody. So I was going from the Bahamas to Washington state and, you know, I didn't realize that like dark green Marines couldn't swim until I got to my unit. And we got, you know, the, the boys are like, yeah, we're going to see Rogers drown today. I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, what are you talking about? I swear I swim. I probably swim better than you. They're like, yeah, right, man. And I'm like, what are you talking? They're like, dude, dark green Marines don't swim. I'm like, yeah, they do. We get in the tank, bro. All the other black guys in the whole platoon—they're dying—and I'm like looking at these guys. I'm like, "Guys, you like this is dishonoring. I'm like, hey, you're killing me." So uh, you know, I mean, maybe they swim now, but that's when I learned that like swimming is like a superpower for some of those black guys. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> God bless them. You know. <laughs>
1: and, uh, sometimes, uh you know, listen, I can say this as an Italian. Sometimes the worst stereotypes sometimes are are incredibly true to it to a certain right? extent, and it makes you for chuckle. Sure. So. Uh, yeah. Um, that that is funny, but I, so you did have no problem swimming obviously, you know, cause yeah. you, you grew up on an Island for crying out loud. So there was water everywhere, but yeah, we're uh, fishing every day, man. It was cool. Let me ask you in retrospect real quick. Uh, yeah. When you look back on it, you know, doing this to sort of live up to some sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong, feels like sort of, you know, nebulous standard that your father wanted you to have to be a man. Um, when you look back on your experience in the Marine Corps, and obviously combat does some of that for you, but did it did it do what you wanted it to do? Absolutely.
0: Because what ended up happening was, you know, I had to learn emotional intelligence. And I had to learn discipline.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had to learn how to suffer well and out-suffer the enemy and suffer better than guys and suffer so good that I can inspire and encourage my guys. And uh it built a level of um internal personal competence to where and confidence, right? Confidence comes from relationship with yourself. And so I've I really strived hard, and I talk about this in the book, to never forget where I come from. And what I've been through and to leverage that for strength. So on a, my worst day, I can be like, dude, I'm not cold and wet, bro. No one's trying to shoot at me. I, you know, there's food everywhere. I got to try not to be fat. You know, I'm not like wondering if these adult men, because I was like 19, like if these adult men are going to come up this hill and murder, try to, and and me and my buddies are going to have to fight for our lives in in any minute now, you know, I don't have to worry about IEDs, you know. um, And then, and then ultimately, you know, and as this was challenged, as I grew, you know, in in marriage counseling sessions and in relationships and uh as I grew you know having my masculinity challenged well a real man would you know and all these different things I I got to sit there and be like you know I I proved to myself that I'm a I I respect myself as a man based on the things that I've been able to do in this life and survive in this life and you weren't there when I did it nor could you survive them and so you, you can't take from me what you weren't there with me to gain. And that actually has fueled me quite a bit through life and kind of fortified my understanding of my personal identity. Um, and that was one of the things is like, I want to solve my masculinity for myself. I don't want to go through life wondering, you know, if I have what it, you know what I mean? I, 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 I God want God. you
1: to make, I want you to make that a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. No one can take from you what they weren't there yeah. to watch you gain. Right. You earn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To watch you earn. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what I mean. Sorry. No one can take from you from what they weren't there to watch you learn. That is mm-hmm. very well said. I've never heard that before. I want to no, teach you now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, thanks for your opinion. You weren't there. I pre- I'll i learn from you. You know, I'll, I'll listen. But well, one me. of those things I like, hate, you know, two uh-huh. you know, things can be true at the same time. What you're saying can be true. Because, right. you know, my truth is still this. And, and, you have yeah. no bearing on that because you weren't there. Yeah. I think that's right. great. Let me ask you one more question about your dad here before we we go forward. Um, was there a moment that he ever, you know, let down his guard with you and put his hand on your shoulder and said, "Son," I said Byron, "You know, I'm, I'm proud of you, you. You did everything I thought you were doing more." And did you ever have that chance to have that moment with him?
0: You know, I think yeah. When he saw me graduate from boot camp, he was pretty like. I mean, you know, uh, I'm in the boot camp, but like when I had to cut. Yeah, I was playing six a football in King Harbor. We had one of the top weightlifting programs, so I had to, I was, you know, so I had to cut to like a two twenty five in high school. I had to cut to two eleven to get into Meps, and then I had to cut to two hundred six once I got to boot camp, and then I cut to like one, and then I got out of boot camp at one hundred seventy five pounds. I haven't been one hundred seventy five pounds since like eighth ninth grade, okay? So, so, so when he saw me and he saw the discipline in my body, and he was like. You know, like this little guy's a Marine now, you know, there was a moment there where he was like, I'm proud of you. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But that moment kind of came back. There was a little bit of that, you know, when I got blown up and I saw his face and I was apologizing to him and I was in that other dimension or whatever, you know, um, that moment when, you know, he kind of dangled me off the balcony of a hotel room (laughs) when I told him I was going to the Marine Corps. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) you know i relaxed and he's like why are you so relaxed and i was like well because either you're going to drop me off the balcony or i'm going to the marine corps and he, he said you know just don't don't die and um when i came back you know that that moment came back to haunt me when i was you know having my out-of-body experience um and then when i came back he was he was
1: really happy too simplify <laughs> we'll, we'll get we'll get there um on on that whole experience yeah it's,
0: it just sounds crazy even saying it sometimes,
1: you know, I I mean, yeah, yeah, um, you know, it's, I was just having this conversation earlier today with somebody who, who was in the military and got out just prior to 9-11, you know, and they, they, you know, missed sort of the the, the big game, so to speak, and, uh, you know, they, they they have this whole idea of, hey, I should have been there, you know, I wanted to be, I'm like, yeah, I get it, I, I get you, but let me tell you something, like, you're not missing much. Like it's, it's a bit <laughs> experience. Like, it's great. If you got to do it. Great. But you know, if you missed it, don't, don't, don't lose too if much. Don't,
0: you don't want to be there. Yet. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Uh, the, the, the out-of-body experiences, the getting blown up and everything. Well, it makes yeah. for a good story. It's not always, uh, th- th- there's another yeah, side, right. of that which we talk a lot about on the show, but there's another side of that, that, uh, that does more damage than good. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. So and, you, uh, and, my,
0: and my story isn't that special. Like all the guys in my platoon got blown <laughs> up. We all got blown up. Yeah, I mean, like, you know,
1: I just, you know, happen to, you know, talk about it and build
0: brands and you know, write books and
1: stuff. Uh, you graduate boot camp, and this is in 04, right? hmm Okay. Uh, where are you going? Uh, and, and what's your assignment and how quickly do you end up in Iraq? Yeah, man. Um
0: graduate boot camp. Get to 3-1 Lima Company Weapons Platoon. Funny stories about that. Um, What's the funny uh, story? <laughs> so, dude, right, we, we get to our unit. And, you know, we're little, you know, boots. We walk up with our sea bags. You know, we're, we hit the elevator. Um, wait a minute. We walk up with our sea bags. We ask the senior Marine that we see hanging around, like, hey, uh, do you know how to get to uh, 3-1 Lima Company Barracks? He's like, yeah, man. He's like, just go in the elevator. Go all the way up to the third floor. You know, and you'll see him out there. So we're going, of course, we're going. We, we hop in the elevator and, you know, the elevator's ascending. We're about to meet our platoon, weapons platoon. I was at 0351. And uh, sure enough, you start hearing all the, like, rap music, country music, rock music, porn, like, just all the stuff's happening. Pizza, like, like you start smelling pizza, beer. We're going up, going up, going up. And it's just, and, like, dudes, running around being beastie. I mean, it's the Marine Corps. It's like, they're they're crazy. It's crazy. Right. And then you get up there and ding. And it just goes silent because the only people that get in the elevator are staff NCOs. So you got to be a made man to be in the elevator. Right. So boom, everything gets silent. Everyone leans out. You look down the catwalk and I just see all these like heads. And then I like, we walk out with our little seat bags and we're like, you know, Lance
1: Corporal Rogers reporting for you know,
0: and boom, man, the whole platoon just descends on us. My buddy Emerson, who I got in to who I who I arrived with, I think I saw him at like 1 30 later on that night while I was like doing push-ups in somebody's room. He was like running through the room. He, like he had to catch the the senior marine <laughs> and we yeah, man. So we got probably worked for a good 24 hours after. Like, instantly. yeah, <laughs> and my guys had just got back from Fallujah, like, they just got back from Fallujah, so they're still like homicidal and stuff. It was, but they were some of the best guys to learn and learn from before going
1: back and doing Hadith and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Are, are you less trusting of instructions now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: man, I mean, it was, it was good. It was good. You do, yeah, you do learn a lot. I mean, you go and you find some, uh, some grid squares you spend a day you know the bfa for the nine mil you know you go to find that <laughs> and then you realize the game you know
1: right Absolutely. um okay so you get there to three one what uh you know you're an infantryman obviously but you know what, what what's your your job here and how quickly do you end up getting to iraq
0: yeah man i think we did like a I mean, if they had just got back, it, it felt like six months. It was probably a good year we had back just to do a full train-up. Right. Um, and I was a, an 0351 anti-tank assaultman, so uh, SMAS and C4 and demo. Um, and I just remember, you know, seeing that there was the way that they trained you in boot camp and at SOI, and then there's the way that these guys survived Fallujah. Right. And they, and it was literally like training day. And that's why one of my products is called training day because it's literally like, yeah, I know what they taught you, but this is how you don't die when we go back over there. And I saw my buddies die. We we're in the biggest urban engagement since waste city in Vietnam, homie. Like, like, like put your hand in the holes in my arm and touch like the bone that I still have after getting my bicep ripped off from, you know, da, 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 whatever happened, like things like that were happening, you know, like, um, what, so was when a great,
1: when they, face. when they do that to you and they're sort of giving you the reality of this whole thing, was there a yeah. part of you that thought you bit off more than you can chew by signing up?
0: There were two times when that happened. Yeah. There was the, the, my first, uh, like close to the first night in the fleet when I was able to make a phone call. Yeah. I hit up my girlfriend and was like, this is like, this is like government sanctioned juvenile hall or something <laughs> i just remember being like you know like i just was like i was like this is not like you know you know this is like uncle sam's misguided children lord of the, the flies
1: juvenile never like hall. It is the brochure man never like it is yeah one. and i was like whoa what's the Actually, so cool <laughs> yeah
0: it was right after they took us in the rain room and this dude's like showing us just the bone he has left because he got his arm pretty much blown off and yeah that's all grab the bone and i'm just like dude this is and then you know they're showing you all the like you know all the moto videos and stuff um and then you know so yeah that was one moment and then the second moment was my first night riding into combat um and i'm a long answer guy so you just let me know if you want me to pause or go. tell
1: your story bro go ahead
0: (laughs) uh we we're on uh, the Haditha Dam at like 3 or 4 a.m. You know, we get down probably like 2, 33 a.m. And uh, we're painting skeletons on our faces and getting our face paint and everything gone. And I remember we push out into the middle of the desert. And it's just that eerie feeling of, all right, here we go. We're about to really do this for real. And this is my first night, you know, getting outside the wire. And uh, I remember we're staring at the city in the distance and we're driving towards you know haditha and uh we stop off and we meet up with the iraqi army dudes and i just remember being fascinated by how like weird and different they were you know like mr mr you know when tuscan you know like asking where you're from you know sort of so, um, picture of madame madame like what's the picture I'm of your wife and all this yep yep yeah <laughs> and you're yeah. like let I me mean, see pictures of my wife man don't get crazy <laughs> but but you know you're like just you're you're, you're being cool you know and um I remember kind of being really fascinated by that. And I'm staring at the city that we're getting ready to, to to invade. And then all of a sudden, the lights just completely drop. The whole, you know, the the all the lights to the city shut off. And um I didn't know that was gonna happen. That was a boot. So I was like, whoa, with all the lights. Just went off to the city. <laughs> I'm like, wow. You know, and my senior marines are like, of course, recon just cut the power. Like, idiot, right? And and so we're rolling in, and um, a Bradley goes flying past us. Uh, and it seemed like the army guys wanted to get to the city first, or they didn't coordinate something. But that Bradley had an ID. Um, a, a, he, they drove right into a minefield. Um, and they were off in the distance enough to where it didn't really impact our path. And other units started trying to get to them. And I just remember seeing my first mushroom cloud come boom. And I remember watching, you know, all that fall. And then I remember listening to rounds cooking off. And, you know, you feel like you're seeing and hearing dudes things, just the chaos. And I remember at that moment, I was like, uh, this doesn't look real. And then that voice in my head was like, you don't know what real is yet, son. And then we pushed up, shot off some APOBs. It was like 100 grenades on a string for those listening that don't know. Boom, on a string with a rocket. Those landed. Boom, blew a big trench. Tanks went in. Thunder runs. Whoa, green smoke. And they cue the Led Zeppelin. psyop starts playing hair rock man music. And we get in there and we run in behind the tanks, man. And, you know, I almost shot someone on accident because I was like shook. But I thank God I didn't. And then we get to a house. We go firm and then PSYOPs takes over and you get to listen to women scream and babies cry and evil laughter while the mosque kicks on. And, you know, they do their kill the infidel shout out night. and You're listening to little popcorn, like gunfights in the distance and dogs. And my uh, Corporal Praxitist, Thomas Praxis, comes up to me and he's like, He's like, how you doing, Rogers? And I'm like, I'm good. He's like, straight up freaking Twilight Zone, isn't it? And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and that was my first night in it. In the morning, I found two 155s and almost killed myself, blew myself up, but thank God it didn't. I didn't.
1: <laughs> there is good a night. um there there is a a you know, uh there, there's there's something that clicks in your brain when you realize real is real. Um, you know, the first time you <laughs> yeah. like You've seen enough movies and you've heard gunfire and you're like, okay, that's what it sounds like. And then you hear gunfire and you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like. But that's then you, really you know, so. but then you have to stop for a moment and realize, okay, like that can actually hit me. So yeah. you, all of a sudden like, and then when when you see one go by you and you can tell that one yeah. goes by you, you're like, whoa. Yeah. All right. Uh so it, it, it escalates, you know, the escalation of force sort of escalates in your mind a little bit about you know, this whole experience and when real becomes real and, and, uh, you know, sort of how you, uh, uh, get christened, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how your cherry gets uncherried, so to speak. Um, right. it's, uh, you know, is a little bit different for everybody, but listen, I think it's important to understand, um, you know, those moments because I always ask people all the time about fear, you know, like, I think it's, I, 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 I I think failure to acknowledge things that make you afraid in combat is sort of delusional. Um, it's okay yeah, to yeah. be afraid. It's okay to, to listen. Fear kept me sharp, man. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. the the pucker factor is what I needed to operate at an optimum level. The one yep. time, the one time I got relaxed and wasn't afraid, that's when bad shit happened. That's when bad shit. Mm-hmm. Happened. That's when when you were found yourself in a pickle, you might not have gotten out of. My grace of God, I did. Uh, you went know. too deep. Uh, you know, I I think you need that. So, um, all right, I want to back up just a little bit when you first find out you're going to Iraq, um, are are, are you scared then? Or are you, are you feeling like my guy's got me ready and I've been training up for this for a year? Like what's your mindset?
0: Nah, man, I don't even remember that moment. That was always the point. That was literally the point. I was like, yo, there's a war going on. I was like, walked into my cafeteria in high school. and was like, yo, I want to play Call of Duty in real life, <laughs> you know, like, like, zero thought, like, I went back on base, and I was driving around a little while ago, and I was looking at these, like, 19-year-olds, and I was like, did, did they take advantage of us, like, am I sure, I knew, <laughs> you know, I was like, I mean, you can take an 18-year-old, you can do a lot of things with an 18-year-old, but yeah, man, I, I walked right into my cafeteria, walked right up to the army recruiter, I said, and, you know, take it for what it's worth. You know, I know everyone's going to be, you know, this is, this will start a fight in the comments, but uh, I was, I looked at him and I was like, I want to join the hardest enlisted branch. I can, I want it to suck. I want it to be a challenge every single day. I want people to look at me and know I did something hard that not a lot of people could do. And he was a, he was an army reserve in his defense. And he just looked at me and he goes, looks to the left, looks to the right. He's like, you should probably just join the record. <laughs> and I was like, Roger that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. For just, thank you. Then I walked over there and was like, take my soul. Like basically it was how it went down. Right. Um, nope. Hey, baby.
1: Um, when you get to Iraq, uh, do you know exactly what your mission is? Like, what did they tell you about what your job was?
0: Okay. I'll see you when you come back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Sorry. She knows how to open
1: the door now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Daughter. Yeah, man. The best thing in the go. world, man.
1: I'm uh, I'm, I'm jealous. I, I, I am only a boy dad. No girls. So, hey,
0: I mean, you know, yeah, she's pretty awesome. I wanted to have all boys, but I ain't never loved nothing like I love that thing. But well, then that, again, it's an easy phase, man. Know.
1: She's a, you know. How old is she again? She's like three. So this is the I good know. part. Yes. Yeah, side <laughs> note, like, I, I mean, that was part of my, my motivation uh, for always wanting her girls. Like, I saw all my guy friends who had girls. I mean, it must be awesome for somebody to think you are king of the world for about fifteen years. Then it's yeah, all downhill. I don't envy you. By the time she turns, yeah, to yeah, right? hate life, and I'm going to be like, "Cool, yo, dad." What's up?
0: <laughs> My okay. men are out taking territory right now. Yes, that's
1: right. <laughs> yeah. go, go get that hill, son. Um, but yeah, so you know, dichotomy of parenthood. But anyway, um, no, I was just saying when when you were uh, when you got to Iraq, did you know what your mission was? Did you have a uh, you know? A, a, an idea or, or were able to comprehend beyond just being squad leader infantrymen
0: yeah man i mean it's interesting question because the second time they didn't really tell us anything they were like you're here dominate the area we didn't really technically know exactly where we were um uh but the first one yeah man we were there to uh to take back uh all those areas around um Haditha, Barwana, Senjek, the Sack, East-West sacron all that stuff, man. And so, I think they made a movie about that, actually the Battle of Haditha um, with the massacre and all that stuff. But, uh, so that was really our mission. And then me as Demo, like, we landed and we just started clearing cities, man. Like, we just started clearing, we cleared Haditha, and then we just kept pushing.
1: And and for those pushing, pushing. who don't know, Haditha is probably about Oh, let's call it an hour or two northwest of Baghdad, right on the Euphrates River. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, just for a point of reference, in case anybody wondered, but, you know, Tigris and Euphrates split right down the middle of Iraq. Euphrates mm-hmm. is on the west side. Tigris is on the east. Um, but just for reference point, So you're a little bit north of Baghdad, but still that's a, you know, that Anbar province where you guys were was was a high level marine territory across the board. So, you know, you have this dam to deal with. Um, what was yeah. it like when you get there as far as the, because you got there in what, 05? I
0: joined in 04. It must have been 05 when I landed there the first
1: oh. time, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So the only reason, I mean, that's that's when I got there. And the only reason I bring it up again is just the to remind everybody, you know, and, and new listeners to the show, 05 was the beginning of the height of the violence across the country, which preceded the surge in 07. Well, five and oh six were the most violent times in Iraq, um, which is why the surge happened because the the level of IEDs and you know and and violence across the board, like Arab on Arab violence too. The Samara mosque gets blown up, and you know there's a whole bunch of you know things going on. So you you were there for a, an operational tempo that was pretty darn high.
0: No, thank you. Yeah, man, we I mean we did that. We pushed into Haditha, and like I said, the very first day, I almost blew myself up. <laughs> and it was it was an interesting generational thing too that took place because my dudes that had just been through Fallujah, corporacitus again. He's yeah. like, I know this guy's moosh. Find me something, and I'm like, and I'm you know the innocents, right? So I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, corporal. I think you're just mad about Fallujah, and you're just being mean to these nice people. I can't believe I was thinking. So then, <laughs> so then I'm you know kind of like looking around, and you know I get quiet, and I start to really like. Pay attention to my surroundings, and um, you know I see a bunch of water drums that collect water, but one's empty. And you know I I end up stumbling across a bunch of like uh, expended shells where they're shooting at Marines the night before from the dude's rooftop. You know I go move that water jug, and there's these two there's you know there's disturbed sand underneath. So then I'm like, "Hmm." so I'm like digging, and I'm like, what like what's this disturbed sand? You know I'm digging and digging and digging. And uh, sure enough, I hit something solid. And then, you know, being a big bad marine, you know, I gotta, I gotta see what it is. And I'm getting up underneath here, and I'm pulling this thing out. I'm, I'm just yanking, and I, and it's heavy. And I remember pulling this thing out like with all my strength, like on the ground, and I'm carrying it, and uh, and I walk into the middle of the courtroom, and I'm like, like we're in a courtyard, right? We grabbed the, we got the guy, we've already detained him, we found like you know, we found adrenaline and passports and expended rounds at this point. I'm just like looking around. I find this, I pull this big thing out and it's, you know, two, one, five, five, uh, anti-tank shells, you know, all taped together, tamped and everything like pretty much ready to go, you know, <laughs> and, uh, every Marine in the courtyard just jumps over the thing. And then I, you know, we set it down, um, and, uh, you know, get out of the courtyard and all that stuff and, uh, EOD deals with it. And, you know, there's just so many things that could kill you, you know what I mean? and, and
1: <laughs> I, I know your Marine buddies looked at you and said, dude, do you realize how close you were to just dying? Like killing you, just vaporizing like all, all of those... us?"
0: What the, Rogers?
1: And I'm just like,
0: what? And I literally was like, look what I found. And they were like,
1: dude. you became that guy. Um Yeah, you know, literally, man. man. Anyway, just don't man. let Rogers go in there. We'll be fine.
0: Um... Right? Oh, man. I mean, I have some like, Ba stories, but like I don't know. I'm just genuine, dude. I got. <laughs> I did some stupid things. I, I was protected,
1: you know. What um outside of that first night outside the wire, what is your first combat experience like?
0: You know, um, that first deployment, you know, all we really did was get blown up. It wasn't until the second deployment. Like, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we got blown up. We secured a lot of things. Uh, three, one had a lot of street credit there. So like, you know, every time I'd meet an interpreter, they'd be like three, one Fallujah, like, Oh my gosh. And the enemy avoided us. Uh, the unit that came in right after us got wrecked. They got destroyed. One of my best friends was in that unit and he got flown out to Germany and it was like one of the bloodiest, uh, months over there. Um, my second deployment uh was when you know we really got into more of it and we were out on the arm of the euphrates is basically you know what they told us and um
1: for me honestly
0: it was more of a relief and i you know i got shot at by snipers during my first deployment but for me it was more of a relief man like one of my buddies is crossing across a big open field martinez and everything's quiet And then all of a sudden you just hear guns ring out. (laughs) Martinez comes over the comms and he's like, Rogers, come get me. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm here. And he's, you know, and I'm like, where is here, man? And he's like, I'm out here in the field. And apparently what had happened was um, he didn't want to stay with the vehicle because he was a senior guy. So he was like, I'm going to get out and search some stuff and check some stuff out. So, um, he ends up in an open field about 50 or 60 miles out into the middle of um the middle of nowhere kind of in dead space there's nothing but a telephone pole laying on the ground next to him that he's like huddled up behind while the enemy's at the in these buildings shooting down at him uh the rest of it we're in a mobile assault platoon so the rest of our guys are up in vehicles up on high ground I am down in a wadi in front of them uh finding a huge weapons cache. So I found a weapons cast with like a U.S. weapons, all kinds of stuff. So I'm down here like, yo, jackpot. And then you hear machine guns ring out. Martinez is hollering at me. Um, and all of a sudden, all this like dirt is like kind of falling down into the wadi where I'm at. And um, I'm asking the guys above me, like, what's going on? Are you guys shooting over my head? Like, like I think the 50 cal is causing this wadi to cave in. And they're like, no, that's the enemy. They're trying to shoot you inside that wadi. And so we're in there, and these rounds are impacting right over our heads because they're elevated. They're in these buildings, and they're shooting at us and Martinez. Uh, and one of our boots, man, he was a big kind of a trouble. you <laughs> all keen on. Uh, he was kind of one of those guys that was almost too smart for the military. Like, he was like – when I get done here, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm never going to do a single stupid thing again, ever. And I hate you, you know, like, but he was like a 300 PFT guy, you know, it's really smart. And he does this like 50, 60 yards sprint back to the seven ton, gets it up there, covers Tina so he can get in. Um, our Humvees move into position and start pounding on the buildings, that are right across the wadi kind of giving me cover fire as I run out of this wadi with my uh, fire team. I get to the top of the wadi and everyone's shooting at the buildings and I get this weird feeling like if I was them, what would I be doing? And I look to my right and there's a perfect berm perfectly flanking us. And that's when I was kind of like, man, I'd be over there flanking us. And I'm watching that berm. And sure enough, I see movement behind the berm and I look at my boy, Tap, who's up on the, I don't remember, if it was 50 or if it was a 240. And I'm like, they're over there. And we start redirecting fire at that berm. Uh, my lieutenant, God bless him, War War Frank, you know, uh, he passed. But he's like, you know, what are you shooting at? And this was when you had to PID everything because all the things that went on in Iraq, right? I mean, you obviously, you always have to PID, but, like, it was really bad. Everybody was, like, mad pucker factor. And he's like, what are you shooting at? I'm like the enemy's right there. And he's like, wait, I'm like, right over there. And then they peeked their head back up and my boy who was on the on the machine gunner, he's like, he was one of the smallest machine gunners I ever knew. Man, he ripped that weapon over on the top of that Humvee. They peeked their head back up and you just see boots and pieces of AK flying all over the place, right? Um, and then uh, Lieutenant Frank pulled us out of there because we were at the very edge of our and then because we found that cash, that weapons cache, we actually pushed more into, um, that area, which turned out to be, um, which turned out to be a very hot area. Uh, and we ended up going into Pegasus Bridge, this operation that was like probably our worst, worst operation of the deployment. It was like our Black Hawk down kind of, um, but yeah, that was my first time and it was honestly man we were charged i was charged up i was a little relieved when the round started um once it cracked off because i knew i wasn't going to get blown up and then i was kind of like um i was scared as i was running out of that body and rounds were cracking over my head i was just like dude i don't want to get caught by a straight round like that but i did i did uh my Oakleys fell off my face, and I stepped on them. I had the thumps, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had the thumps, and I did stop. Grab my Oakleys, put them in my drop pouch, and keep running. Oh man! But anyways, yeah it, it it was a it was a baptism by fire, and then we almost got into a fight when we got back because we had a staff NCO who was just a horrible Garasite that was like, "I want to report on every single one of your rounds. I need a paragraph on every single." Oh, direction you fire for every single round. He wanted us to write out a written report for him. And we just, you know, we weren't going to do that. So, yeah, man, it was, it was, we were, and, and then also we were upset because we wanted to, we were young. We wanted to keep fighting. And Lieutenant Frank, for all we know, could have saved our lives by being like, hey, we need to get back to back. We need to get out of here. We're out here by ourselves. We don't know what's out here. We are by ourselves. So he pulled us back. So really, we spent most of the time. You know, like, I thought I was going to Valhalla today, and the Turner Frank
1: wants us to go back home. You know, like, we were just 19-year-old, you know. Why is that? Uh Yeah, yeah, literally. So that was all in your second deployment, though, you said, right? Yeah, man, yeah. Go back to the first one where, where you got blown up. I'm curious to hear more of this uh, out-of-body experience.
0: Yeah, so... um First deployment, man, was IED heavy. Um, We're rolling down the street and... uh, In Hadith. uh, Yeah. And I remember, I just remember, you know, Doc's like, yo, Rogers, you should lean back. Like, um, you might get, we, you know, we could get hit. If we get hit, something's going to happen. Like, something could happen, you know? Like, you should, and I I was kind of like leaning over the side a little bit. And then I was like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Let me just. Are you, are you in a regular Humvee at this point, or negative? We're in a seven ton. Um, so I'm in a seven ton. We're rolling down the street. My doc's like, "Yo, chill out, lean back, bro. I don't want you getting blown up." I'm like, "Yo, if we get blown up, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn it down if we get blown up." You know, usually you know you make you make these arrogant statements before you get punched in the face. So then, um, you know, we're rolling down the street, and uh, we had a guy in my platoon, Foster. Um, he had caught an obscene amount of IEDs like he may have been blown up like eight to 10 times like he just was unkillable uh, I watched him get launched 250 yards in the air something like that like watched him just kaboom <laughs> I got out of a truck sprinted over to the vehicle and then he landed like he's just that guy so he has a six sense for IEDs he's a six sense for yeah
1: you know, that's not a left- guy you want to hang around with a lot
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, but he just knows, like, he just knows what it's about to go down. So he, he's like, you know, silverback, I'm going to stop and take a look around, dude. I got a bad feeling. I'm I'm like, Roger that, bro. You do whatever you got to do, man. And he's my driver, of course. Right. Um, And right as he rolls to a stop, I'm in a, I just, I'm in a black room. (laughs) Like all of a sudden I am just in another experience, man and i
1: didn't hear it you didn't see it you had no recollection of any of it nope i now when i think
0: back there's like this faint memory of remembering like I, i feel like i can feel like pressure going through my body and i feel like uh i remember kind of like like feeling like i'm being crushed like crushed and um my buddy who was sitting across from me hebert He said his last memory was me being folded in half on the roof like this, with my feet up by my face, going like this, like with a surprise look on my face, my feet up by my head, uh, because I was folded in half on the on the roof of the seven ton, and I was you know I just got blown up. I kind of can kind of remember that, but for me, I was just like upset in Iraq, sweaty, smelly, pissed off, and then I was just like, and I and and in this in this like room or space or area where I was um i was totally at peace dude like i was totally chilling uh like like if you think of that john travolta meme where you know he's just kind of like looking around like that's kind of how i was i was just kind of like bebopping like oh man this is cool like i'm good and then i started being like where am i uh and then i started to kind of i realized i just knew i could call up my thoughts and i was like what was my last thought and uh i saw it like a green cursor, bro, like MS-DOS computer, old school. I just saw my words come up. Why is the water cooler trying to come up your ass? <laughs> like that was my, come up my ass. That was my last thought. Sorry to cuss. That's what I was thinking. And I remember being like, why is the water cooler? This is weird. And then I was like, oh, I was sitting on the water cooler. Then I was like, oh, I was, uh, I was in Iraq. And then I was like, oh, I was on patrol in Iraq. And right about there, I, it was like someone just hammered me in the solar plexus, like the, an explosion of the deepest sorrow I had ever experienced in my entire life. A sorrow that I remember and I'm a, I am live to never experience again um, just exploded from the center of my being as I realized, oh, my gosh, I died I'm a pile of guts on the floor in Iraq. And right about at this time, I, my consciousness kind of like went there. Like, I remember seeing Wellerman. I remember seeing like the side of his face, but I couldn't look at my body necessarily. Like some people talk about like looking at their body and being in the room. Like, I just remember looking at him. And then I remember experiencing the deepest sorrow and then seeing my family. Like, like, I, I remember trying to say goodbye to them and apologize. And I was like, mom, 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 I'm so sorry. I died in Iraq and, um i saw my girlfriend was washing dishes and i was like i'm so sorry i'm not, i died in iraq i'm a pile of guts on the floor um i can't believe this happened um <clears throat> and i remember being so upset about two things like one i was just the finality of it and the fact that i hadn't lived my life and i was so young i felt like i just wasn't conscious like i made this decision to come here, and all this stuff happened and like i was like a kind of funny kind of fit like nothing <laughs> you know like I, there was no purpose to my life like nothing mattered and i remember that was like crushing me crushing my soul um and you know all and 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 so like i in that moment was just like it can't be like this you know and then i saw my grandma and um she had always told me since i was little uh you know byron and it's like totally touched by an angel sounding it's cheesy it's not badass not cool but this is exactly what happened (laughs) and so um you know uh she's like byron if anything is ever stronger than you you just say jesus 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 by the third time it'll go away so i started praying i just was like jesus jesus help me jesus jesus dude my buddies make fun of me to this day they're like yeah i heard you in the corner jesus jesus oh jesus and then uh uh, I remember my dad's voice. He got shot at point-blank range with a shotgun. And I remember asking him, like, hey, dad, like, how did you not die? And he was like, son, I had things I had to fight for. I had things I had to bleed for. He's like, people die when they give up. And there wasn't no way I was going to give up. And he's like, and I remember I would get sleepy. And then I would fight, fight my way back. <laughs> he was like, and I would come back fighting. And he, and he just was like, people die when they give up. And I saw my dad and I started... And I was so upset because of what I told you, he dangled me off the balcony and I told him I was going to the Marine Corps. And he said, just don't die. And I said, I'll do my best. Pray for me. And I, and I came back and now here I am. I'm like, I failed, you know? And I, and I remember him saying people die when they give up. It's like, it's like a, it's like a Rocky movie you know. I'm having flashbacks, but, <laughs> but you know, that's what, that's what happens. And that's what has happened when I've come close to death. But I, um uh all of a sudden I end up back in my body Oh, and I said a prayer too. And I remember telling God, like, I may never be everything that you call me to be. Um, I may never be good enough, but I promise you. And I said this as like, I promise you, I will go so hard in the paint. If I get another chance, I said, I promise you, I will go ham. I said, hard in the paint. And I said, (laughs) ham. it's just, it's just genuine humanity. You know, it's just based on my vernacular, and my maturity. And I was like, I promise you. And that's what I do. You know, I go hard every morning. I go to war when I wake up. And then uh, I was back in my body and I couldn't move my body. And I remember saying, father, I can't do this without my body. And then um, all of a sudden, kind of like you hear like the Abrams tanks power up like that. Like, dude, like I powered up and I was furious.
1: Like Undertaker style where you just sit (laughs) up. You know, (laughs) know, like God, Well, I was like in
0: the undercarriage of like this kind of crumpled vehicle. And I, um, now the seven ton, like the part of it was all mangled and I, I crawl out of there and I'm like, I am not dying here. And I kick out the back of the gate um, that was jarred shut from the blast. I black out. I do remember like running up and like looking over the edge. Apparently what I did was I jumped like my boys are like, dude, you turned into a crackhead. You jumped like 15 feet out the back of the truck. and, And then I sprinted into a field and dropped down and set security for myself. Uh, And I look back and that's when I woke up is when I look back at my guys, I was like, they're still in the vehicle. And I got everyone out of the vehicle, started yelling at them. And then we went and we assaulted um, the nearest place where someone could be. And um, pulled six guys out. The only six guys in the city wearing sweatsuits, (laughs) like literally ghost town, six dude sweatsuits. We get them out. We get them on their knees. I'm like, who speaks? We, we didn't get them on their knees yet. I'm like, who speaks English? You know, and one guy just looks directly at me, and he's like, I don't speak English. He <laughs> said it better than I could have said it. And uh, I remember some of my boys were like, Yo, yeah, we got drop weapons in the car. These guys just tried to they I mean, we still got drop weapons in the home. <laughs> and I remember being like, like, in a moment, I could see the future. I heavily considered just smoking those fools. Um, cause they just tried to kill us. They were for sure, you know, as far as any logical person could tell, they were the guys, but uh, I just could see the future, man. I saw my dudes drinking on couches, taking their lives later on and thinking about it. Cause it was a little gray and, uh, you know, I just made the call, I'm not on our, we're going to arrest these dudes and take them in and they're going to get out of prison in six hours and we'll meet them
1: on the battlefield. <laughs> um, <laughs> how long do you think you were. Let's, under let's call it loosely unconscious <laughs> in this right. sim in the simulation how long were you no. do you think you work and <laughs> did, was anybody able to kind of give you fill in the gaps and give you a time frame of anything
0: um, yeah, they said it was like five to seven seconds <laughs> I lived a whole life
1: in that seven seconds um that's you know, it's, I mean, are you ever shocked at, at the clarity with which you can re- not only still recall that, but of everything that went through your mind? I mean, yeah. did it, it surprise you about how clear everything was?
0: It surprises. Well, like the clarity is just still there. The story when I tell it is 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 like almost unbelievable. Right. It's like it's like, geez, like, man, that really happened. And it's still to this day. Sometimes it's like, what does that mean? You know? Um, I think that it's been, God's preserved it in me because like, it's part of my testimony. So I tell, I tell it, you know, if I show up, I'm probably going to tell you about it. It's like, that's my Phoenix moment. That moment changed my life, changed the way I operate in the world. You're talking about like, sometimes it's about the things you do after you get out, which for me, that moment was like, dude, we are going to war now. We just went hard for Uncle Sam. That's really cool. Now in your civilian life for the people you want to serve. Uh, for the people you're connected to, your family, the God you serve, all that. You go to war to do amazing things, to serve the world now. You know, this is what you represent. And so, like, that moment completely changed changed the frequency I was living life at. You know, I was just kind of a cool dude trying to, like, get laid and, like, hang with my boys. You know, before that, I was still a Christian. But, like, I realized how thin the veil between life and death is, too, you know. And I got to experience that regret, which I'm in, I'm in fear of. Um, and so, yeah, man, a lot of interesting things came out of that. It was, a, it yeah, was a I mean,
1: I, I, sometimes I don't like, you know, asking all these deep questions kind of going out of order chronologically, but, um, no, I love it. I'm curious because when I hear you speak, like, you know, obviously it's passion and, and it's, and it's emotion and it's great. Um, do you ever get tired of going to war every day? Because it feels like, you know, at some point in time, the fighter eventually wants to put down the sword. They want to put down the yeah. weapon. Like when yeah. does I, I mean? And maybe it's just a metaphor for you. You know, maybe I'm reading into it too much. But I don't sense that mm. in talking to you that you don't you don't attack anything without the uh, you know the, the 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 ruthlessness of man can provide. So <laughs> um, are really are you ever tired of still going to war?
0: That's like, a very good question.
1: can you disengage? Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Um, Psychological, like, uh, not durability, but versatility, it's huge. Um,
1: This is where your master's degree in psychology comes in here. We're digging. (laughs) digging.
0: (laughs) Right, right. No, but I mean, so in terms of my life's purpose, there's a true north that I'm always aiming for. Sure. Um, Everything builds into that, right? So like, at war, I rest, I eat, but there's like a my purpose adds boundaries and gravity, you know, and and achieving that purpose honorably. So I like don't want to lose my family while I go after that purpose and, and, and become what I need to become to serve these people. Um, I need to make sure that I rest so that I'm optimized. I need to make sure my health is on point so I'm optimized. And so I go to war, but I, I think if you look at it in a really holistic perspective, Um, when we were at war, these are the things we had to do, but there was a mission, you know what I mean? So I think what I mean is like, not like I'm out there fighting every day, but I am trying to push that flag and take territory every single day. You know, like um, I wake up early because, you know, I did that for Uncle Sam, but I have such a mission that adds gravity and draw to my life. But, you know, every single day, five to seven, you know, I spend time with my family, I spend time with my daughter, I spend time with my with my wife, that is like their portal. Unless something's burning down or you gotta go evacuate a client or something, I am present with them. And then after that is more wife time, you know? But from about 4 a.m. until up into there, and then sometimes after the backside of that, I am freaking hammering. I'm abusing myself, my mind, and everything to get down, down that battlefield. And I think for me, there is balance in that. And then my PTSD was very... Very much having to do with the disparity of intensity between combat and nerf reality in the civilian world. PC nerf, like a Lamborghini, and it forced to drive in a school zone, just dying inside. And so I got into drugs and everything. Did a lot of things really, really fast and hard because I was into I was seeking more dopamine in life. Now I find a lot of that dopamine from fitness training and execution of life's purpose. So I think that's kind of my therapeutic
1: kind of path too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, not having any psychological degrees, just, you know, um, experience, I guess, but (laughs) I (laughs) mean, the the anxiety, uh, it it feels like it's anxiety. I'm just like doing a mental check-in on you right now, you know, that because like you said that that level of intensity matters, right mm-hmm. um, and and you know when your body is reacting to that level of intensity and anxiety. I know when yeah. my body is doing it like in the civilian world when i'm getting when something is getting me to that level, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. It's a biological yeah. reaction I can feel that goes on inside me, and, and I have to do this sort of mental pause to remind myself you're not in combat dude like no one's dying here chill the f out yeah what are you getting so spun up about um mm. take a breath say a prayer you know there's peace there's peace in, in in somewhere in this whole thing just find it and go sit yeah. down so I, i'm just you know hearing you talk about it yeah i mean it's great for what you do in your line of work and everything else but you know, is there an off switch, or at least is there a is there a standby switch to? And maybe that comes from five to seven every day, right? Maybe you, yeah, could- yeah.
0: No, that's the thing is, yeah. For me, if I'm my life's purpose is just it's like finding another love, man. I'm just it gives me a lot of fulfillment, man. Like when I'm standing in front of a field of 250, 300 people that are there to learn the art of protection, and it's like a family kind of vibe, and everyone's just like being a professional student. Uh, like that's a mission to, to drive towards like when I got dudes didn't know how they were going to feed their family. They go through my courses and they're like, dude, now I'm making six figures. I'm in the executive protection industry. I'm going to, you know, I'm taking my client to Europe next month. Like, thank you. Like, well, we can we could we can uh, afford Christmas presents on, on on Christmas for the first time. Oh, oh, I can't. I can't even man. So like serving my tribe is like a love, you know, um, and so it flows out of me really organically, but you're correct. There's balance required or you will die. You will burn out. You'll just die tired. And so for me, my balance and maintenance is uh, I try to rest if I'm home, if I'm not international on Sunday, um, I'm constantly feeding my mind. Like I'm listening to audiobooks. That kind of, that is cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, two hours a day I spend with my family minimum minimum a lot of times i'll just hang with my wife after that if there's nothing pressing and then i have to have my disciplines like working out and or training shooting things like that are also cathartic for me and so there's there's hardcore work in there um but there's also uh calculated rest and calculated um like plussing up on significant relationships you know
1: Um, you got it man you got it like you know I, i just you know i'm just reacting to to you yeah. Uh, and, and, and wanting to sort of play devil's advocate, you know, uh, I, not, it, man. Not that I think you didn't have the answer or anything, but you know, it just, nah. uh, you know, some, some of the conversations on the show end up, you know, uh, leading to more revelations than, than we had ever intended. We just wanted to tell your story That's next nah. you week. Know, we're having, having deeper conversations than ever intended. But, you know, like I said, I think, I think as long as you've got a grasp of it, then uh, I, I yeah. trust judgment on this. Clearly your line of work is all about judgment. Um,
0: I yeah. do want to talk oh, and my dad was a workaholic, so, like, I didn't have a relationship. Like, I'd go visit him for the Bahamas, and I'd be at summer camp by myself all the whole time. So I do have that, like, nightmarish, like, I don't want to be like that guy part of him that I'm also managing. That I think it's keeping me, because I could have honestly really easily became him, because I'm so, I can be so so fixated on that task load. Um, but I know better, because I've seen what it can do, you know?
1: No, right, that's fair. God bless um, backing up a little bit. So you have this IED experience and everything. Um, did it change the way you were in combat in general after that? I mean, did it, did it alter your mindset? Did you want to be harder? Did you want to go more? Did you want to just get the hell out of there? Like, what, what are you thinking?
0: That's a really good question, man. I honestly, I, so this is something I've leveraged to gain power from in life, but and actually that it evolved really recently for me. But I just had to accept the fact that I just couldn't die at any moment. Like, like I literally remember after the first idea, I was in, I got a call home and like, I got to chill for a little bit. And then we were leaving the wire again that evening. And I remember sitting there and I was like, y'all ninjas, like, we're just going to go back out there. Like all you guys, like we're just, everyone's fine. Like people do this. Like we're just, like we're just like I remember sitting in the back of the seven ton, and I just remember being like, "Really? Like we're just gonna do this again?" Is anyone else feeling anything I'm feeling? Does right anyone now? else I'm
1: think this mind? is a really bad idea that only ends yeah. Rollins? Right, it. we yeah.
0: got blown up this morning, <laughs> and I was like, and I literally that's when I started smoking. I don't smoke anymore; that's long gone. But I just remember looking at my boy Luciano, and being like.
1: Give me a cigarette. I don't know what it does. No, listen, but I'm gonna smoke a cigarette I, right now. I felt, see, I felt it like like by my by month eight nine on my first deployment. Even now, my interpreter, I'm like, just give me a cigarette. I, I just feel like I need to do something. You know yeah. that? it Just yeah. And I smoked for like three weeks, four weeks. I might have bought like two yeah. packs. I'm like, this is disgusting. Movie? I can't do this shit. Do you know, <laughs> but yeah. I just felt like I needed that. I mean, I I started I never drank coffee. I started drinking coffee. I was smoking cigarettes. I was also burned about 20 hour days. Um yeah. for the better when, when our operation tempo got really, really high, I mean, I was burning it at both ends pretty hard. Um sure, for, for about a month plus. And so that's when that's when that's when the coffee and cigarettes came into my world. Um don't do either one anymore. I still drink the hell out of coffee because I have kids. Now now it's a necessity. <laughs> you gotta keep up uh, <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the idea of going back into combat, you know, it's it's uh, we've, we 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 talked to a lot of guys on uh, from Blackhawk down and they, you know, they've echoed that sentiment. You can get any man to go into combat once, but getting them to return um, <laughs> yeah. is a different question because they know the dangers of it. It's it's almost like little children, you know, they don't understand fear. Because, you know, they have no problem running and jumping onto something because they don't understand fear and physics and gravity. You only know the chances of you getting hurt because guess what? You have fallen. You've jumped. You've yeah. landed weird. You're like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. So uh, you have that sort of childish, you know, lack of experience about combat. Then you have to go back.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well,
1: uh, go ahead.
0: And there's something else too on that. That's I do remember after the first deployment, you know, we, we got into our little scuffles and things like that. And we definitely caught IEDs. I do remember after the first deployment, I remember being on ship for my second deployment and I remember being like, okay, I'm ready. I understand what's going to happen. Like I understand like there's chance in this I've surrendered to the reality that I can die. Um, I've prioritized myself. Like I need to be the best leader I can be for my guys. Um, and I've done this before and I need to be strong. I remember like, and I was like, right after we shoved off that very next morning, and I remember like coming to peace with it and being like, "All right, I'm ready. Like I can do this." Like, like, uh, like Hurt Locker at the very end. Like it was that feeling, like, "All right, we're finna do this." And then what I didn't tell you was that was the day I found out that my girlfriend cheated on me. The first deployment, she told me about six hours before I got on the boat for my second deployment because I just caught her. I just looked at her and was like, "What happened last time I was gone?" I know something happened. And then she was just like. And I was like, I'm your cop. <laughs> and I was like, just tell me. So she ends up being like, Bleh. and then I'm, I end up being like, okay, cool. Well, I got to go on a deployment now. So I'm just going to think about this over here. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, I end up, I'm on the back of the ship, you know, at freaking parade rest, watching her disappear into the shoreline, you know, as we fade off and get taken away to Oregon. And, uh, that, and I remember right as I felt solid, like, all right, let's do this. This is who we are. Boom, that exploded. And that was honestly the most painful thing I've ever been through in my entire life. I didn't really cry. I let out this, like, cry. like I woke up. I thought it was a nightmare. I was
1: Wait. like, I had the worst nightmare in the world. Wait, when you say that exploded, you meant your feelings about your ex and everything? Okay.
0: Yeah, man. I, I I woke up and I thought, I was like, I feel awesome. I'm ready to go to war again. And then I was like, man, but I had this nightmare last night and then I realized it wasn't a nightmare. And then I just remember like it felt like a, just like a piece of my heart died. And I kind of like whimpered. I just kind of like. Ah. And then I remember being like, well, I can't like get busted up and my cry. And then I went silent for like three days. But then my boys were like, look, dude, we're going to send you for to psych if you don't talk to us about whatever. And I was just like, I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> Everyone was like, dude, you got to talk to somebody. And I was like, I'll talk to one person. <laughs> I pulled my buddy and talked to him and I made it through it and um, became stronger and uh, dealt with that whole thing when I got back and all that and no one ended up in deer park. So it's fine. And um, you know, but that was, that was probably the most painful thing for me actually. And I yeah. saw dude, dudes, you know, suicide, crazy things happen over that.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I had, I didn't get a dear John letter. It was more like a dear John quick phone call as I was yeah. about to get on the plane and leave.
0: Um, I think he got you right before he got on the plane and let you down. Leave, man, man. That's the worst.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's a uh, it'll mess with your head. I mean, like combat's hard enough um, to you have to be in the right frame of mind for it on a, on a daily basis. Um, yeah. And anything that sort of jostles it takes away from your sharpness, your intensity, your your focus and, and be able to do your missions. So um, that part's bad. But, you know, in the same respect, when you were um, you were talking before... Um, God, why did my hamster just fall off the wheel? Um, that usually never happens to me. I wanted to add to what you were talking about before in reference to... Oh, well, I can't remember. It'll, it'll come to yeah, me. Yeah, it'll come back when your mind relaxes. It'll come to me in a moment. But, uh, you know, combat is... is yeah. Is something that when you do it every day. Oh, this is where I was going to go. When you talk about, you know, um, when you do it every day, you want to be as sharp as you can. I felt like, you know, my mortality. I was less comfortable with it on my second deployment than my first because mm-hmm. my second deployment, the it was the it was the drawdown of Iraq. Kinetic operations were coming to a, a, a cease. They were coming to a halt. I wasn't going outside the wire every single day or or four or five times a week like I was in my first one. So even though I felt mortality, like I felt like, okay, today's the day I'm going to die on my first deployment. It was one of those things where it's like, I'm ready. I'm prepared. I'm I'm not going to be caught off guard. Right? The second one, I was very nervous just because I didn't do it enough. I didn't get outside mm-hmm. the wire enough to know what the lay of the land looked like. So when you have mm-hmm. to go back and do it again and again, by the time you that feeling sort of numbs itself away, right? You just, you get, you get yeah. to the idea of, Yeah, we're going to get back in this vehicle. We're going to roll down the same road again, and we're just going to go see the same people trying to blow us up one more time.
0: Yep, 100%. You know, Uh, and that. Go ahead. No, that adaptation takes place over there. And I think, you know, just a slightly different vein is I think my PTSD was um, that becoming a maladaptation, (laughs) a maladaptive quality when I came back here and was like, what do we even do like 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 what like this is it you know like this is it like forever and I'm mind you I'm in executive protection we hit 60 countries that first year man I'm on a private I'm on private jets going all over the world I still was like I need something you know and uh uh yeah man so that That's uh, it was interesting, and I and now I actually channel a lot of that intensity, and that's part of what what I use to fuel me as I try to outperform myself of yesterday. You know, Um, I but like that's just how I like. I feel
1: comfortable with that lifestyle. You know, right, right. Uh, When you get back from your second deployment, did you you were done with the Marine Corps?
0: Um. Yes. I would say pretty shortly after I got done. Well, a few things. I, I think. So, on my first deployment, I got to do some things with stay platoon. Was that first or second after that happened? He got blown up. Nope, that was, that was, yeah. So, I got to do some things with stay platoon. I actually joined the Marine Corps because I wanted to be a Marine Corps sniper, I wanted to be a hog man. And so. Um, when I got to do some stuff with them in Iraq, they were like, dude, Roger, you're totally cool. We want you to roll with, uh, like, come try out like you're, you're good. Like, just come hit the end and you know, we'll pull your file. And I had a staff NCO who was the nemesis of my like, life who, you know, literally pulls me back out. He's like, I just can't go. Mind you, he got blown up two weeks in country because he didn't listen to one of his corporals who had been to Iraq before. He thought he knew everything. Anyways, and he literally got just got himself blown up within an hour of telling, you know, uh you know, a lower-ranking guy that knew, you know, to shut up. He's like, shut up, Bob start Gunner sergeant, United States Marine Corps. Ooh. Instant karma. God bless him. You know, so um that guy misses the whole deployment. We land, I'm getting ready to. Uh, Stay calls me up to the S5 or whatever. They're like, Hey, get your stuff pack up. You're going to, we're going to run the in And he doesn't allow me to go, you know, achieve my dreams and goals. So for me, I was kind of like, I'm kind of already kind of halfway out of this outfit. Like, I don't know. And then a lot of the like, like mothers of America kind of rules started coming down. Like you can't toss in front of new Marines. And we were like, what? Like, I gotta, I gotta go to war with these men. I gotta like, I gotta know their men, you know, <laughs> like before we get over there. Uh, you can't do tobacco products in front of your Marines. And it's not that we need to do tobacco. It's just the principle. Yeah, I mean, like, you right. know, And then, you know, Marines started being like, this was hazy and they were mean to me. And it's just like, I was like, dude, I can't even with this. And I was like, I'm not going back over to war with these cats, with these old, whatever you guys got going on. And so then I started looking for a way out, Um, you know, and the rest is history. But yeah, I was pretty over it once I came back from that deployment. Uh, once I realized they were just, I joined the Marine Corps partially too, because I have five sisters. I needed to find a place where I could be a man. So that was big for me. I was like, I need to find a place where I can be hard, where I can be hard on people and people can be hard on me and I can develop, you know, in, in strength and like toughness, you know, instead so of all this like feeling stuff.
1: So, um, yeah. when, when you, uh, when you make this decision, do you tell anybody? That you're leaving, um, like when I when I made the
0: Marine Corps decision, or what do you mean? Yeah, when oh, you, you, I...
1: you when you decided you were, you were done with the Marines, I what did you say to people around you?
0: Um, let's see, I mean, everyone was kind of done, man. Everybody was like that old guard, that whole generation was kind of like, dude, like are you gonna stand and deal with this, like and Everyone was kind of like jumping ship, like having the recruiters move them around. And, um, so yeah, man, I mean, I got no pushback really And my, you know, all my big brothers kind of moved out to different things and different billets. So it was kind of like my turn to be the head dudes. And I was kind of like, nah, no. Nah. So yeah, it was totally cool. Um, with, with my brothers,
1: you know, um, what did your parents, what did your dad say when you decided you told him you're getting out of the Marines? Um,
0: it's interesting. I would imagine he would have been, Hey, come down to the Bahamas and, and, and work with me, but no, it was at that point I had really become my own man in a lot of ways. And I was kind of like on my own path and moving, you know, and, um, you know, I don't remember him really having much to say about it. I remember him being like, you know, I miss you and I love you, and we had a good relationship. I do remember him inviting me to the Bahamas to start taking over business operations, but literally, he, you know, and I did. I got out. I got right into executive protection by the grace of God, and then I ended
1: up going did you to get Florida. to do? Like, how do you how do you make the jump from Marines to executive protection, personal protection?
0: Yeah, man. No, I. I uh, had no idea. I was thinking about going and possibly doing, you know, like contracting and joining Triple Canopy and, and, and you know, it's like right after BW times and stuff like that, um, had a, a, an invite from Dying Corp and things like that. But I, um, so I was going to go that route where I was going to become a cop. So I was kind of like, well, I got to carry a gun for somebody this is all I can really do. So let's check these two avenues. and. The executive protection thing really just happened by the grace of God. I'm sitting in my kitchen and, um, you know, I was just like scared because I didn't know what I was going to do next. And it's like, hey, man, you know. like You're really cool and like tough and stuff, but like, like, how are you going to make money, bro? You know, like (laughs) how are you going to provide, buddy? Uh, You're kind of funny and stuff, but like you got to make money, actually. So um, I just was praying. I was like, Father, I don't know what I'm going to do. And uh, I heard that that voice that's kind of guided me my entire life. And uh, he was like, go to Hennessy's, become a bouncer. You're going to become a bodyguard and travel the world. Clear as day, bro. I walk out into my kitchen. My girlfriend at the time is like, hey, and I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. And she's like, what? I'm like, I'm going to go be a bouncer at Hennessy's. And then I'm going to become a bodyguard and travel the world. Like, basically, like, I'm going to go play flag football. And then I'm going to get recruited straight to the NFL. You know, <laughs> and she's like, Ninja, uh, you're not going to be go go bounce at Hennessy's. Because she knew that was the end of her. If I go be a bouncer at Hennessy's in Orange County come month. So I end up there. And, um, you know, sure enough, dude, busting tables, three months in, uh, one of a dude who ran the most highly traveled executive protection detail in Southern California is there with his buddy. They're looking for a new dude for the detail. Um, they've been watching me all night from the moment I I I uh you know check their IDs to the end of the night when I'm having to kick them out. I walk up and I'm just like, hey guys, and I was kind of busting tables just trying to be a good dude. I didn't need to bust tables. Um, and they're just like, have him do it. I'm like, what's up? What you need? And they're like. You a you a marine? I'm like, yep. They're like, you got combat experience. They're like, yep. You're like, you're getting out soon. I'm like, yep. And they're like, uh, my buddy Luke Agajanian, who I'm still friends with, he's in my content and stuff to this day. He's like, go get these permits. Give me a call in two weeks. I'll show you how to make a lot more money doing what you're doing. And I remember talking to my 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 girlfriend at the time. She's like, God did not tell you to go bounce in that bar. And I remember telling her, and I was like, like look, all I ask is that when it happens, the way that I'm telling you it happens is that you believe because they just, I just, all I know is this is, I've been protected and I've been guided through my life and I know this voice and just, it didn't come for me. And when this happens, things happen. And then, boom, I get recruited, um, in Rodeo drive. I'm in Beverly Hills on my first job interview. Um, you know, and, uh, I can't get into the jewelry jewelry store where the job interview is because only ballers go in there. And so like, they don't know who you are. They just don't open the door. I'm like at the, at the window. And all the like senior dudes are back there on the details staring at me, you know, 21, too young to even hardly be in the industry almost. And uh, the client liked me and he put me on, man. And that, the rest is history, bro. Uh, uh,
1: did you have any, well, you're trying to get in the jewelry store. Did you have any flashbacks to that elevator ride up at three one and realizing, Oh my God. <laughs> Everything <laughs> about it. this is happening to me again. <laughs> Heart rate starts spiking. I don't know um, where I'm mate. going. And I'm only being set up for failure going forward. Uh But yeah. hey, grace of God, it all works out, right? Um yeah, So let's just uh, talk about the PTSD angle for things. Just because psych- psychologically, from a psychology standpoint, this is sort of in your wheelhouse. When do you acknowledge or realize the fact that you have it,
0: dude? It took me, mine was sneaky, man, because um, I was so functional, bro. Like my brain was just functional, man. Like I could do all kinds of drugs, be up for days, talk with clients. Yes, sir. No, we're going here. Here's the map. Ask me 8 million questions while I follow the map, while I drive. Like, it's totally cool. You know, I'm good. And I was able to be like ultra functional. And so... For me, I was just having fun, man. And I was just like, I can handle this. I'm a Marine. I can handle this, you know? Um, And then eventually I started just that voice, that feeling inside me was like, you're going fast and you've been getting lucky. And I mean, I was going fast, like, because I'm an intense human, you know? And like, you know, I was like running freaking sauce. (laughs) I was sauced up, juiced up to the gills, like, up to like 260 pounds. Nice. Doing hard drugs. um, And I was able to be pretty functional with it. And so it took me probably a good year or so to really realize that like, dude, what are you really actually doing, man? What are all, what's all this behavior a symptom of? Like, are you not good? Like just being chill, like being good. Like, can you not just be good? And um, then I started to kind of like introspect. And then uh, I just did a hard, hard, right. And, failed out of california went down to florida and i did it for i did it for business reasons i did it for a lot of things but i also did it to just clear the playing field and fortunately i don't have an addictive personality i can be like i can i can fast for 40 days i've done that before so i can stop a lot of trash i can cut things out so um i just stopped for messing around with all that stuff and was like you've been blessed with a lot you take one wrong turn playing this game your life will change forever you're already black don't mess it up (laughs) don't make it worse by doing rat things my grandma my head you're already black son and you made it worse with getting them tattoos you're gonna have to be twice as smart to get twice half the i'm like yes my grandma's old school you know what i mean like the real old school you know they wear the pants on the head up on the belly button anyways
1: Oh, uh yeah <laughs> no listen you know uh starting out with a strike when you only get three of them is uh no need to give yourself an extra one right um, yeah,
0: you know it was, I, sneaky me. It was really sneaky because i wasn't depressed i was like hammering on life and i was making yeah. money enough to afford everything
1: yeah i mean <laughs> I, you know my, mine mine's very similar i you know I, I was able to function for a long time you know i just it didn't really start to become aware to me until you know I realized it was having an effect on my kids. Like that's really when, when it, when it starts to bounce back at you um, mm-hmm. through people close to you was at least for me, it was the, was the wake up call. Um, when did you have time to go get your master's degree in psychology and your regular degree? I should say, when, when, when did all this happen? Um, I
0: didn't have that. I mean, you know, it was one of those, like, it was one of those, like, uh, I don't have time. I have priorities things. It was one of those, like, Let's do war for this degree kind of thing. Like, like it was like, um, you know, I got my AA just like all remote, like while I'm sitting on private jets. You know, I run into guys that were with me when I was young every once in a while in the industry, and they're like, dude, I remember you. You're that dude who would like whenever we got downtime on the detail, you'd like break off and like be doing college courses and stuff. <laughs> like you'd be in the hotel room, like, yeah, man, cool. Um, and I I mostly, you know, like I just was all about facing fear. And I have, you know, I had like a dyslexic thing and was never good at academia. Like I'm not a schoolboy. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm probably baseline like a B minus C student, really, actually. But I can organize teams, I can lead a team. I am good at strategy. I can market. I you know I mean, so I'm not a specialist, you know. Um and so I, I kind of went back to school because I was scared of it. It was like, well, what, well, you've been to war now. What's the last thing that you're kind of like intimidated by? And I was like, hey, hate school. I still don't read fast enough to read the scrolly thing at the bottom of a movie sometimes. Like, you know, so <laughs> like I got to face this. And I still spell badly. Like, if you see my posts every once in a while, there'll be something spelled bad in there. You know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm staying in the OODA loop, baby. You know, we're just violence of action. We're hammering. But anyways, so, yeah, man, I I did a lot of it remote. And then um, once I got to a stable enough schedule, uh, when I was doing domestic security contracting, working for seven different companies and just taking jobs that were interesting to me, um, that's when I started to uh, just just kind of not go on the one or two nights a week that I had class.
1: Where When does the book come about? It's called Finding Meaning After the Military. Um, I mean, it's about your transition, uh, obviously, but... Um, yeah. What made you start to write? I mean, if you just tell me sitting here about dyslexia, not many dyslexic people like to write books kind of goes against it. Right. So uh, tell me the genesis of it, why you wrote it. And what what did you hope to accomplish?
0: Yeah, man. So now, dude, I'm just sitting in my living room one day and I'm hearing about all my buddies that are committed suicide still. And I'm like, yo, we lost more dudes to suicide than we did in Iraq. And then it just hits me, man, like a ton of bricks. I'm like, yo, we're still at war. This is war. This is war. We just don't recognize it, the type of war that it is. And then I'm kind of like, well, what can I do? You know, like, you know, I still see myself as that squad leader or that corporal, you know, that, like, how can I weigh in on and be a positive, uh, be a positive, you know, warrior? Like, how can I, you know, have a positive impact? And so um, that's when I started, man. So that's when I started writing that book. You know, I went through the Tony Robbins Training Institute and a few other different things. I started to really get, you know, and I was already kind of on my self-help journey, probably about 2011-ish uh, when I finally got it done. And I hammered that book out um, as my kind of thrust at trying to fight this battle. Did some life coaching for a while, worked with a lot of vets um, and still kind of do because, you know, the guys come through my school, we do our careers together and I mentor all of them. Um and we're getting GI Bill certified here soon, which I'm just so super stoked. Cause I think, I also think he kind of saved my life because it gave me an excuse to stay dangerous an excuse to stay. Oh, a lot of these things fit and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't like I was just doing a job that was totally detached from combative arms and like had to be like, well, oh, I was a Marine, you know, it's like, no, I'm still here to protect you. You know? Um, so yeah, man, that book, uh, that book just talks about all the tools that I use to transition, get my life back on track, find my new fight. I think it's really important for, you know, guys like us to find their new fight a warrior without a fight or without a purpose. You're soulless. Life isn't worth living. You start to succumb to um entertainment rather than purpose and value. Um, and then you look at yourself you know what you become when you live a life of entertainment over actual value, who you become biologically, physiologically, everything. And the atrophy of identity sets in where you don't even know if you you believe your stories. Your wife doesn't even want to hear your stories anymore. You know, you're a different person now. You're a, you're in and that atrophy of identity of that kind of honor, honorable person you used to be kind of sets in. And I think that's around where dudes start tapping out. And things just get really out of control. Um, there's a long answer to that, but that's the short. No, bit.
1: but it's it's an accurate answer. I, I mean, it's so there's there's that. Um, what what do people say about the book now when they read it? Like, what, what what's some of the feedback you get on it? D- did did it accomplish what you wanted it to?
0: Yeah, man. I honestly, it has. It's got a lot of really awesome reviews. A lot of people are like, "This has changed my life. This set me back on track. It's amazing." I want to do a like republish. There's a few little things in there that I want to kind of like change, not structurally, but just like what I'm doing now. And like how I can serve people now is not necessarily in the book. Um, but, you know, it's done great. And I keep getting calls, honestly, from publishers, Um, you know, to republish the book, which I'll do at some point, but um, it's, it's, it's been able to climb, you know, one of the coolest things, one of my buddies called me and was like, dude, I found your book in Barnes and Noble's just randomly by chance. And uh it changed my life and it's it's helped me, man. So thank you. I'm just like, what the hell? You I, you
1: know, like, amazing. My mind blowing experience to the least. Um Bravo Research Group, you're the CEO of it now. Um now you didn't you're not you're not the the owner of this company, right? Or did you did you found this company or no?
0: Yeah, man. Honestly, dude. Of just, the grace of God. Yeah worked in the industry long enough until ran into a client that was like, Hey, I want you to be my guy. Like, I just want you to be my guy. We're going to put you in business. We're going to like, you can work as many clients as you want. So that's how we started. And then from there, man, I've just, sky's been the limit. You know, we get to do a lot of things in a lot of different segments of the private security and safety protection industry.
1: And then you have several different training companies or multiple training companies, I should say, that you mm-hmm. own. So kind of tell me what they are and, and w- specifically what they do in case anybody is looking for, you know, a place to, to learn this craft. Yeah. So,
0: um, Bravo research group is obviously the private security company. Um, and, you know, we take care of high net worth clients, put teams and strategies around, you know, high VIPs, their families, corporate structures, schools and churches as well. We've been having a good time with that. Um, uh, then the League of Executive Protection Specialists. This is my training school for executive protection specialists. So if you want to get into the industry and you want to get what I believe is some of the best training in the industry, we offer the highest level of driving training into uh, immersive training into executive protection where we run operations together um, and uh, hard skills intensive where you'll get all the requisite skills. Um, so that's been one of the, the pride of my life. Those guys network. We do our careers together. There's mentorship, all that. And then there's the Protector Nation, which is everything, everyone facing. It's a social media platform for protectors, the only one I know of. We do annual events called Protector Symposiums. You have anywhere from 200 to 475 people that come to those events uh it's interdisciplinary. We have four or five elite instructors per weekend for that. And the whole entire library is, you can get that all online at protectornation.com. So that's kind of my three-pronged approach to making the world a safer place by helping good people to become more dangerous.
1: How much of Bravo Research Group and these other training divisions that you have are your way of Continuing your Marine Corps service in a different form.
0: Yeah, man. Um, I'd say. So part of my. I think my purpose in life. Is as a protector. Is to uh, multiply protectors. And so I believe protectors are the white blood cells of the body of humanity. And so like the Marine Corps lent heavily to that level of competence and experience in what I can give. Um And testing and validation in some ways, you know, Um, and then getting into the private security part of things, you know, really helped refine a lot because I got to grow it at a hype at at an accelerated rate, fortunately, by the grace of God in this game. And so now, yeah, man, it totally is. it, It is totally like, you know, who I was as a warrior, as a young man, you know, shot through the Marine Corps with all these modifications and now out into the world and finding ways to just multiply those, those capabilities in good people. You know, that's my passion. So a lot of it is like, like continued therapy and, you know, value from Marine Corps time, you know, Um, because I, like I said, I believe I'm a warrior. I was created for that.
1: Uh, What does your old man say about, Bravo research group and everything else.
0: Yeah, man, he's proud of me. He's, he is, he's, he's proud of me. He's proud of it. Uh, you know, we tried to work together for a while. It didn't quite work. Maybe I wasn't mature enough. Maybe he could just do, You know, Tony, my but now we maybe can pull. So I don't know. I don't know. He's my dad. I love him, but yeah, he's really proud of everything that I've done, man. It's a great feeling, honestly. Yes, sir.
1: When, uh, when, when, you kind of look at the path that you've taken, you know, from the Marines. And again, being a guy who wanted to live up to his father's ideals of, of, you know, what manhood looks like, or, or being a man, you know, you, you you see the arc of, of where you are. When you look back, um, is there a certain point where you kind of feel like, you know, you leveled up a little bit and then you leveled up again. I mean, like, or, or do you know that when you reach this point of, I don't want to say, do you know when you became a man? Because that sounds stupid. But I guess what I'm saying here is that, you know, all these things seem to feed into one another, right? Like, but mm-hmm. yet, in a way yeah. that, again, that they all level up from the Marine Corps to yeah. private security to starting your own company. Now you have multiple companies within it. You write a book in between, you know, like, yeah. was there a point where you realized, okay, I, I've I've got this.
0: Yeah. Like, to to your question, I I believe masculinity is like, like what you said is perfect. It's not a destination. It's a journey. Like, if I choose to be a coward today, like, I don't go execute on Protective Symposium 6.0 because I'm scared and I stop taking risks and I stop showing up and giving my best and be willing to die over what I believe in, then like, dude, you're not going to Valhalla no more, bro. You just ruined it. You were, you were once upon a time guy. And I stopped going to the gym. I stopped doing the disciplines, you know, and I stopped being brave enough to like lovingly correct my kids. Like, nah, bro, you're done. You're not, you're like, masculinity is a, is a, is a definitely a journey. Um, I love what you said. Um, but I, you know, it's really interesting, man. Cause like, uh, even here and now, after doing what I've done and creating what I've created, Um, I know who I am by the grace of God and no one's taken that away from me. Um, and as we've achieved these things, like the first protector symposium was, was petrifying. Right. And then, you know, even starting a podcast in my space at the risk of losing my, my career because, you know, executive protection is something people don't talk about. It's like kind of a gray man industry. They're like, dude, you're going to make a podcast. No, one's going to work with you ever again. You know, um, I think now after doing this and living this life after, you know, for, for, you know, five or six, seven years in some cases, um, now it's really starting to be like, wow, I think I've really created something. And after hearing the students come back and be like, dude, there's tremendous value here. You changed my life. That's now, now I'm starting to really be like, wow, we've, we've done something tremendous.
1: Yeah. You know? um- the concept of leave, leave no man behind on the battlefield is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, you know, one of those things where we're all on the same team. We're all fighting for the same thing. I take care of you. You take care of me. You, you, I'm your battle buddy. There's a personal vested interest and something that in your heart you believe is correct. Um, In the personal security world, that's just a client who's paying you to do a service. Is there any similarity or differences between leaving no man behind and leaving no client behind, so to speak? Yeah,
0: man. So you have uh, mercenaries and you have protectors, right? Right. Now it's really difficult to know which a guy is, or even what you are, but uh, it's like going to war, you know, you think you're going to be a gangster and then it happens. And some of the guys, you know, you don't know who to, you don't know who's going to do until things happen. Right. But, Um, I try to tie what I do to who I am, not to my client. So it's, and this is the culture that I have in my company too. You know, like if we've been hired to do this, if Byron Rogers is going to protect because that's who he is, that's what he's been training for. That's who I identify as. I'm a protector. I've been hired. I'm going to protect this client. Now, unless they do something morally, absolutely that ruins it, you know, and there are those things, then that client's going to make it home, you know, over my dead body. And that's the way that I have to be. That's the, that's what I teach my guys. Um Because it's, we try to take it from being a business transaction to being honor centric. Right. And then that honor bleeds into everything that they do. You know, otherwise you may have a conversation. It's like, I'll get paid enough to pull all the you know green jelly beans out of fill this bowl bro <laughs> you start having all these conversations with yourself you know but i'm gonna do a good job because my last name is attached to it because byron rogers does a good job and that's who i am as a person right um and so that's kind of how we face that and there's a lot of this industry where yeah man like i don't know if they're paying us enough for this you know um there's a lot and it's human nature you almost you just It just depends on what type of person the person is. You can't almost even get mad at them if that's the type of person they are, but, you know, the client needs to also know who they're dealing with as well.
1: If you only had to choose one to do for your life, be a Marine or a private uh, security?
0: Oh, I mean, executive protection, man. I'd I'd be doing this if I could only choose one. You just, I have more power, you know, like I can put teams on people, like I can do more good things. Private security, like, I can do security for NGOs, uh, you know, we can help out with, extra- we can do all kinds of things, you know, like private security has got its hands in everything, you know, and we just don't have as much red tapes, we're just civilians protecting civilians, man, you know, I come up with the SOPs, <laughs> now I take on all the liability as well, so, you know,
1: but. Leader <laughs> versus a follower, boss versus the subordinate kind of deal, right, yeah. Uh- no always good to be your own boss. I I don't know what that feels like. Um, (laughs) Probably never will. Uh, Best piece of advice that you would give to somebody entering the Marines and the best piece of advice you give somebody coming into executive security? Uh, That's a good one. Um, I'm sure the Marine one
0: is easier. Yeah, I mean, I would say in the Marine Corps, you know, I would say remember, you know, remember your honor, be honorable, you know, be honorable and and never forget that it's about your brother, you know, like it's about the guys next to you. But I don't know if I got to tell you that first and foremost, if you're honorable, it will, it'll take care of all of this. Your guys will be able to depend on you. You'll be able to perform. Masculinity is very performance driven. You'll be able, you'll be, you'll be honorable encompasses so much of it. And I would say, you know, be honorable because you'll have opportunities to not be honorable and you'll have considerable power given your age group. Um, so like, be honorable, man. Um, and in the executive protection game, master your grid square, master your role, be a professional first, like just be good at what you do be a professional first. Like if you cause because in these in this world when you've got billionaires swirling around and you've got all these distractions and um and you and it's seductive to have a very powerful person that everyone sees on TV or a billionaire X like you, you know, and, and EP agents get sucked into all of these different kind of social traps.
1: <laughs>
0: kind of social traps, you know. That's um, of them texting me right now. I wish I could show you the text message. Um, and 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 if you're just if you just are a professional first, that client's going to respect you more. They're going to want you around. That all everything that you want comes out of them being able to trust that you're a professional first, no matter what.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it, it makes a lot of sense. In, in a sense, you, you're still in the relationship business, um, right? Especially when, especially when it's a referral, right? Cause one high profile client says, I use this guy and give him a call. his team will yeah. take care of every kind of deal. It means the world. So you're still in the relationship business, much like uh, whether the military wants to acknowledge it. Uh, it should be more of a relationship business than anything else, but different mm-hmm. conversation for a different day, especially in today's day and time, it needs to be a relationship business, but um, yeah. different, different leaders can choose to lead different ways. Um, not all of them are right. Not all of them are wrong, but, There's a, there's an argument for it, say the least, uh, bravoresearchgroup.com is the place you go, uh, just if, if, you know, that you can, they can get to your training there and everything else and take the classes and all the other stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, my primary website, byronrogersmotivation.com will have everything you're looking for. Got it. Yeah. Bravoresearchgroup.com. You can find me there too.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that Google thing works pretty well. Um I, I I'm not allowed, I, I guess I'm not allowed to ask you who are some of your famous clients, but so just I, I'll just acknowledge that they're there. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so close, that's funny. I wish I could, but I can't,
1: you know. Oh, I, I get it. Just you know listen, uh I've I've held to the maximum for quite some time now that uh, I need better friends, and you seem like a better friend than I already have. So um Thank you. As, as it stands, I don't have that many friends, which is probably why I need some friends, let alone better friends. But again, another conversation, different podcasts altogether. Uh, right, so right. you Find you and everything else. I mean, you know, look, uh, the journey is amazing, man. Um, Thank you. you know, from, from a little kid in the Bahamas who knew how to swim uh, to a guy who runs his own company and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, stops in the Marines and combat along the way. And um, do you ever stop and and... Sort of, are you in awe of what you've been able to accomplish? Or do you feel like you're somebody like, I expected this level of myself? (laughs) Homie, homie.
0: I was a chubby little friend zone fat, kind of dyslexic. Like, I just, bro, I shouldn't even be here. I spend most of my life in a constant state of amazement and gratitude. and, and, And wanting so bad, dude. I want so bad for people to know. Dude, you can do so much more than you ever thought if you just get consistent, bro. If you just, if you just, if you little by little, if you just start trying, like I never dreamt and I'm only 30, what, seven. I never dreamt we would be here by now, bro. I thank God for his grace. I see the miracle that this life is the miracle that my body and my technology, my human technology is what 60, 70 trillion cells is. And I just wake up and I'm just like, father, just help me. Help me not let the grace I've been shown be in vain and do awesome things today and, and live the, make the most of this. And I'm just in a state of gratitude, man. And I'm just going to keep trying as hard as what I can. We'll see how far we get. (laughs) Super awesome. Great,
1: great words. Everyone
0: can have it, man. (laughs) You
1: know, great words to end on. Uh, Love the passion, love the smile and the energy and wishing you nothing but continued success. Uh, Again, the name of the book, Finding Meaning After the Military, if you want to check that out as well. Bravo Research Group, ByronRogersMotivation.com as well. Great to talk to, you, man. Great to get to know you. Uh continued success. Best of luck going forward and and continued blessings, brother.
0: Heck yeah. Mark, thank you, man. What an honor. Great, thoughtful questions, bro. Thoughtful questions. I was like, I didn't see a couple of those coming. I mean, I love not, doing this stuff. But not, I was just like, wow, oh, I gotta think about this. Man, not not so my first it. rodeo.
1: Not my first rodeo. Thank yeah. so. you. Yeah. We'll end it this way. Byron Rogers, thanks for being part of the hazard grind. Okay. It's an honor. Thank you. Um,
0: You've been listening to the hazard ground podcast hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe rate and review on Apple podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.